0: This is where we need to hold the customer's hand. We need to make sure they understand our way of doing business, why we do things the way we do, and we need to bring them into the fold and accept them into our operational cadence and make sure that it fits with their desires and needs.
1: Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles.
2: We've talked before about customer acquisition and customer retention. And it turns out that according to eConsultancy... About 18% of companies focus more on customer retention than on customer acquisition. But over 40% of companies focus on the exact opposite. Over 40% of companies focus more on customer acquisition than customer retention. And I get why. I mean, those investments are pretty fun and they're pretty exciting. We put all this effort into brand building, into marketing, and into sales to get these new customers in. And when they do come, when they do buy, when they do finally make that transaction, it's a big deal to us. So we celebrate. But while we're patting ourselves on the back and celebrating from acquiring these new customers, something pretty significant happens that most of us aren't paying attention to. A lot of those customers that we just put all that time, effort, and investment into acquiring are leaving. In fact, across all industries, up to 70% of newly acquired customers will stop doing business with a company within the first hundred days of being a new customer. That's a pretty shocking stat. And one of the main reasons that customers leave early in that time frame is because they feel neglected in those early stages of customer onboarding. Thankfully, this week's guest can help you turn that around to not only keep your customers, but to also turn them into raving fans. It's Joey Coleman. Joey's an award-winning speaker and a customer experience design expert. He's worked with hundreds of companies to help them deliver remarkable customer experiences while dramatically improving their profits. He's the co-host of the Experience This podcast, along with Dan Gingas. Dan was a Simple Brand podcast all the way back in episode 48. And Joey's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Never Lose a Customer Again. Joey and I talk about his lessons that'll help you turn one-time purchasers into lifelong customers and that'll help you retain your best customers and turn them into raving fans. And the lessons are all from his first 100 days methodology. Spoiler alert, customer loyalty isn't about focusing on all those marketing and customer acquisition efforts. Customer loyalty is about focusing on the first 100 days after the sale, and focusing on all the interactions in the customer experience. So here it is. Here's my interview with Joey Coleman. Hi, Joey. Welcome to the
0: show. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much. And thanks to everybody who's kind enough to join us and listen in today. All of you folks out there in podcast listener land and potentially viewer land, uh, excited to be part of the conversation and thanks for your time.
2: Yes, well, I am excited to finally get to talk to you. I know we were talking earlier, we've interacted a bit online, but I'm excited to dig in really deep. I've been digging Never Lose a Customer Again, and I've been looking into some ways that I can start implementing the lessons into my own business. But I'm curious, I'd love to understand your reasons for writing the book and what made you decide that these were the lessons that needed to be shared right now?
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that question, Matt. It's interesting. If we roll the clock back, I used to run a branding agency, basically a branding and experience design ad agency. And one of my jobs was to help design the type of things, whether that's a logo, a website, marketing campaigns, advertising, et cetera, that would draw new customers to an organization. Right. And I like to think we were really good at that. We ran it for about 15 years and uh, worked with clients around the world. What was upsetting to me was how often we would put together these great campaigns that would drive a lot of focus and attention. New customers would sign up. The clients would be very happy with our conversion rates and how we were doing with new customer acquisition. But when I would check in with them three months later, six months later, a year later, they hadn't seen the growth in their business that they were hoping to get. And that created this conundrum for me because I knew we had done a good job of driving the new clients but something wasn't working. And the more I dove into it, I realized that most organizations are really good at attracting new clients and they're absolutely horrible at keeping them. And this (laughs) led me into an epic decade-long plus exploration of the difference between attraction and retention and why so many businesses over-index on getting new customers, but pay very little attention to keeping the customers they've worked so hard to get.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely it. And you talk about branding and having a branding agency. And in my career and my background, it was a little over a handful of years ago where we realized, you know, is for an organization, your brand is the sum total of all the interactions that a customer has, not just with your logo and not just with the advertising or your website or the content that they see. It's everything. And that's the customer experience right there.
0: Totally, Matt. You know, when I originally named my business, I called it design symphony. Right. And the idea was to have all the pieces of your business, on the same sheet of music playing in harmony together. And I think to your point, all too often a business will over-index on, well, let's make sure our website is great or they'll emphasize the sales process or man, we've got a killer logo that's gonna just bring all kinds of people (laughs) to the table. Which let's be candid, as somebody used to design logos, most people aren't going to do business with the company because of their logo. It's right. a clever touch. It's an added piece of the conversation. Yeah. It contributes to the overall vibe of a brand. But no one thing, in my experience, is dispositive. No one thing, if you get it right, means your business is going to do fantastically well. It really is the gestalt or the combination of feeling of everything that's going on that is going to make the decision on whether you sustain and succeed long-term or not.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've seen too many businesses that will place their focus in just a few of those areas, like you said, at the same time, especially if it's a larger corporation, a larger enterprise, you'll then have like the heads of these different teams, these different areas focus only on themselves, these uh, siloed efforts, so to speak. And so with that, instead of a symphony, you get a cacophony, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> totally, totally. You know, it's interesting. I know my uh, podcast co-host, uh, the illustrative and illuminative Dan gingis has been a guest on your show yeah. before. Love you know, Dan. Dan. Dan and I have a regular joke because I'm a farm kid. I grew up in Iowa, yeah. and one of my go-to sayings is silos are brilliant on the farm. <laughs> they have a very specific focus purpose. Silos in your organization are a train wreck. Oh, and man. we need to stop thinking in these siloed approaches because our customers are multi-channel. They are multi-experiential and they want those interactions wherever they happen to be at the time, they don't care, oh, that's actually Betty over in customer support that would be able to handle this question. Or you need to talk to Marissa over in financial services or whoever it is. It's like, no, they just want their problem solved. They want their issue dealt with. They kind of don't care what your organizational hierarchy is.
2: Right. Yeah. They see you as a representative of the overall brand name, and they only want to talk with just the brand name. So just fix their problem. (laughs)
0: So true. So true.
2: So beyond the silos, you've got this tendency that I see so many business leaders have. They have this tendency to focus more on customer acquisition efforts versus customer retention. Why do they have that
0: tendency? Well, the good news, Matt, is they have that tendency because they're human. Okay. It's not that they're bad. It's not that they're insightful. There is a biological reason. And there is a structural reason. Mm. uh, And those two things actually combine to create a reward center in the mind and in the body that perpetuates this behavior. So let me briefly break those down. Let's talk first about the biological reasons, right? Human beings as a tendency love the chase more than we love the catch. And if you doubt the validity of that statement, I ask you to just think about dating, right? As a general rule, people are better when they're in the dating mode than when they are in the married mode. Why? Because once we get married, again, sweeping stereotype approaching, we have a tendency to take a relationship more for granted. We've maybe lost some of the spice or the uncertainty or the intrigue that was there in the beginning because we become more familiar with the mode of operation. We get into certain ruts or behaviors that kind of repeat in a consistent way. Now, I'm not saying consistency in a relationship is bad. What I am saying is every relationship needs a fair amount of uncertainty and a fair amount of certainty. And where you move the dials on those equalizer create the emotion that is associated with that relationship. I know you're a big music guy. It's kind of like when the beat drops that you're expecting, that's one thing. But when the beat drops that you're not expecting, you hear that little extra riff, now you're like, wait a second, I didn't see that coming. Ooh, I'm intrigued. That's what relationships need. So there's this biological aspect that as humans, we're kind of like, oh, where's the stability? Where's the thing that is Regular. That's important, but it pales in comparison as to, oh, what's that shiny object over there? Oh, what's that flashy thing? So we have the biological problem. Then we get to the structural problem. So here's the structural problem that exists in most organizations today worldwide. There is a element of the organization that is involved in marketing. How do we get other people to be aware of who we are? There's an element that is involved in sales. How do we get those people that now that they're aware of us to spend their money with us and buy our product or service? Then there's an element structurally that is, okay, what do we do to take care of those people after they're in the door? Kind of our operations. The problem is in most organizations, sales has a seat in the C-suite. Marketing has a seat in the C-suite. So we have a CMO. We have a chief sales officer, a head of sales, and then somehow the customer service and customer experience people usually report up to one of those people as opposed to having their own seat in the executive boardroom. And what that does is because we are human, if I am the chief marketing officer and I'm sitting there with the CEO or the board, do you think I'm going to talk about, hmm, marketing? (laughs) Since that's in my title, right? or am I going to talk about customer support, customer service, customer experience, all those things that maybe fall under my purview and responsibility? Well, of course, because humans as a general rule have a tendency to focus on the thing that is going to help them personally the most, we create a scenario where they talk more about that. So I think when we combine the biological aspect with the structural aspect, we see that in most organizations, we reward a behavior around acquisition as opposed to rewarding a behavior around long-term sustainability retention continuing to foster those deep relationships.
2: Oh, I have always understood, I've recognized that structural aspect of it. I never realized there was that biological aspect as well. Mm-hmm. And whenever you can have something that's, you know, backed by science, I mean like that helps make your case. Wow., cool. and so maybe I'll just take this moment just to maybe share with my wife. I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure that I can go back to those feelings and experience that we had during the chase.
0: I love it. I love it, but yeah, and this is something that my wife and I talk about regularly. You know, we've been happily married for eleven years. Wow. And one of the goals that I have is, I'm not saying a long-term committed relationship is bad. There are so many extra things that come from that familiarity, that stability, that depth, that certainty. But I also do my best to on a regular basis Create opportunities for both of us to lean into new experiences, new perspectives, new conversations. We'll find a book that we both are going to read, and then we can talk about that book. We'll go have a shared experience at an art museum or a concert or something where we can each bring our own perspective to it. And we also try to lean into things that maybe the other person is more interested in than we are. Okay, so I had the chance if I can segue a little bit here or digress rather. Oh, please. I had the chance when I first started dating my wife, she was like, I would like to go to the opera. Now, my wife loves the opera. I had sung in operas on stage, but I had never been in the audience for an opera before I started dating her. Now, I'm not proud of that fact. Some of the people listening are like, oh my gosh, you know, Luddites, how has he never gone to an opera? But how is it weird that he'd been on stage in an opera as a singer, but hadn't attended. Long story short, it just hadn't happened. So we went to the opera. Now, I will tell you, as a general rule, my wife loves the opera more than I do. However, Me being willing to have that experience with her creates a new dynamic. And we're getting ready to move to a larger city here in the next year. And I know they have a fantastic opera. And one of the things I'm looking forward to doing is leaning into that and surprising her with things that I know she will like, that I like too. It's not that I'm opposed to these things, but I think the parallel into our relationship with our customers is to say, yes, most businesses think that our interactions with our customers need to be about our subject matter. Like, oh, you've hired us to do your email marketing. I guess we're only gonna talk about email marketing. Or you've hired us to be your lawn care company. We're only gonna talk about your lawn. There's an opportunity to go into different aspects of your customer's life without getting creepy and weird, that are tangentially related to your business or your operations that can show them that you care about them holistically, not just transactionally about the things that will actually move your pocketbook dollars.
2: Oh, yeah. And I think whether it's your customers, whether it's your employees, whether it's your children or your spouse or your close friends, whatever's important to your people should be important to you as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, the law of reciprocity tells us that when we start to do that with our customers as human beings, they will start to take more of a personal interest in what's going on for us. And this is where we transcend from having customers and clients to having friends that we happen to do business with. Right. And that changes the game entirely. You become recession-proof. You become pandemic-proof when the people that you are working with care about you as an individual and as a human, as opposed to just the person that they pay every month or that they're going to buy the next product from, whatever the transactional interaction is.
2: Right. Well, and they become from a customer to an advocate or a fan. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly.
2: And whether that means just just simply caring about you and your life and caring about you and your business and your business's employees, but also in referring your business to their friends.
0: Absolutely.
2: All right. So we've gone a long way down that relationship road, but I want to bring it back to uh, that initial phase. So you talk about... For customer relationships, the value of that 100-day mark. Why is that time period so valuable?
0: Well, that time period is so valuable because all of the research shows. So when I say all of the research, I'm talking about research from Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, Bain & Company, and this applies globally across all industries what happens in that first 100 days is more dispositive to the lifetime value of the customer relationship than any other time period. Somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers in any industry, product or service, online or offline, domestic, international, doesn't matter, somewhere between 20 and 70% will decide to stop doing business with you, to quit the relationship before the 100-day anniversary. Those numbers to me, Matt, were staggering. And all the research I've done since then continues to prove that year in and year out across all industries. But what was interesting as well was that if on day 101, we ask your customers, what do they think about the relationship? And your customers say, this relationship is great. We're feeling amazing. We're getting a ton of value. The typical customer will stay with you for five years. So stop and think about that. As business owners, as business operators, as people working in businesses, we have a finite amount of time, effort and energy that we can spend. Of course. I'm not asking you to sprint forever. Do I want you to continue to deliver remarkable experiences throughout the entire length of the relationship? Absolutely. But if you're gonna focus in on one period, focus on laying the foundation in that first 100 days focus in on making deposits into the karmic bank account so that when things do go wrong and invariably they will in every relationship not just business relationship this is the same as we're talking about you know our marriages and our dating relationships right if we make those deposits into the karmic bank account early if we build the foundation early we will be able to weather and stand the test of time much more effectively because of what happened in those first 100 days.
2: And you said that the 100 days is still essentially the same, no matter the industry?
0: Correct. So for example, banking, 32% of customers leave in the first year, half of those leave in the first 100 days. Software as a service, it's about 20% on average across all software as a service tools. Uh, Auto mechanics, 68%. Restaurants hover somewhere between 40 and 75%, depending on the type of cuisine you serve and whether you're a full sit-down or a fast casual. Uh, You know, it's like industry after industry after industry. These numbers hold true that double-digit customers are running out the back door as quickly as you're bringing them in the front door. It's insane.
2: That is. And- I think you've got to understand or these business leaders have to understand the magnitude of what that means, especially if you're moving out of some of these more transactional industries, you know, like a fast casual restaurant. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty easy to go find something else. But if you're talking about software as a service, if you're talking about banking, it's not easy to open up a new account. It's not easy to start a new relationship. So the fact that there's double digits that would easily leave in the first hundred days just to go start the process of a new relationship again. That's telling.
0: It absolutely is. I mean Matt, you bring up the, the difficulty of setting up a new account. I don't know how many of the folks listening in have opened a bank account recently but it's a pain in the neck to say the least, you know, family friendly show, right? It's obnoxious. You have all kinds of paperwork. Most banks require you to go in and physically, I don't know about you. The last time I was physically in a bank, come on, but you're going to make me come in and sit there for an hour and try to sell me on 38 different products that I don't need that all have monthly fees. I'm going to have to show my ID. I'm going to have to make a deposit to get the account going. I'm going to need to wait till that account is up and running before I can bring over all the money from my old account. If you're old school like me and you use checks, you're waiting for checks to clear, you're setting up new direct deposit, you're getting a new ATM card. Right. I mean, the list of things that have to happen for a new bank account are absolutely insane. And yet over half of the new customers that are going to quit in the first year, quit in the first hundred days. So 16% of new bank customers will shut down their account before the 100-day anniversary. Shut down their account. Like, leave the bank. That's crazy, considering the amount of time, effort, and energy the bank has to invest in getting them up and running and getting them set up. And this applies to every business on the planet. We spend so much time in the setup. We spend so much time in the cost of acquisition. How much did you pay for that lead? How much did you pay in terms of salesperson time converting that lead? How much time did you spend onboarding? You're not in most businesses recouping that investment until after the 100 days. So if they leave before the first 100 days, you had an entirely new customer come in. You lost money on them. You beat up the morale of your employees. And you created a person out in the marketplace who is a detractor speaking ill about your brand or not speaking about your brand at all, both of which are horrible, and you're left to go find someone new to try to create a relationship with. This is not an effective model for business.
2: No, you would have been better off having simply done nothing at all to try and acquire new.
0: Correct. Exactly. You would have been better off not getting that customer to start with because you lost money, you lost reputation, and you lost time.
2: Wow. Okay. So what can we do? What can businesses do in that first hundred days?
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I love about your podcast, Matt, is you always come back to this word simple, right? The phrase simple. And this can be as complex as you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. So let's talk about the simple ideas first. Simple idea number one, realize that every customer is on a journey. Simple idea number two, realize that that journey has multiple phases and that each phase of that journey, the customer is experiencing different things mentally and emotionally. Simple solution number three, map out what your customer journey is across those phases. Get a piece of paper out, write it down. Try to put yourself in your shoes, get your whole team involved and say, all right, at this point in the game, are they feeling excited about the relationship with us? Are they feeling overwhelmed? I'm working with a consulting client right now. And what we mapped out is we realized that that company is sending somewhere between two and four emails per day to a new customer for the first, wait for it, 74 days of the relationship. Now, I don't know about you, Matt. I'm not sitting around. I don't wake up in the morning and go, ah, you know what would make today great? A bunch more emails. I've never had that feeling in my entire life. And I was one of the people who first got an email address in college when it was like, surprise, you got mail. You got an email address. Back in those days, you were maybe like, oh my gosh, I got got an email. email. This is amazing. It has been decades since I had that emotional feeling when I opened my inbox to find more email, okay? Decades. Your customers are the same way. So if we just did the simple act of thinking what our customers are feeling right now and what they're experiencing now based on what we're doing to them, not for them. See, we think we're doing it for them. We're not. We are doing it to them. That mental shift alone will make your customer experience better. And then there are all kinds of tactical things we can do. But the first step we need to do is we need to shift our mindset to recognize that the experience our customers have is important.
2: That's it. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, thinking about what it is we do to them at all these certain phases. And I think there's also an opportunity to understand, hey, where are these opportunities where some things can fall apart? And can we dig in deep to find those areas?
0: Absolutely. So I believe there are eight phases to the customer life journey. I talk about this in my book. I talk about it in my keynote speeches and in my workshops and in my consulting engagements. I think if you look at these eight phases, you have a clearer idea of where the journey is. And I will tell you, there are two phases in particular where almost every business falls apart. Oh, wow. Let me give you a quick overview of the eight phases yeah. and then I'll highlight those two where they're problematic. The first phase, the assess phase. Okay, this is when a prospect's considering whether or not they want to work with us. In common parlance, this is marketing and sales. They're kicking the tires. They're reading our ads. They're going to our website. They're seeing what's going on. Phase two, the admit phase. The prospect admits that they have a problem or a need that they believe we can help with. They hand over their hard-earned cash. They sign on the dotted line. They transition from being a prospect to a customer. Phase three, the affirm phase. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. When the new customer begins to doubt the decision they just made to do business with us, this is the number one place where most businesses start to fall off the rails. Because while, let's just do a little experiment here. Everybody who's listening, let me ask this question. Raise your hand, even though I can't see you. Raise your hand if you've heard the phrase buyer's remorse. Okay, that sound you just heard, Matt, is a yes. bunch of hands being raised all over the world. People listening to the podcast, yes. they raise their hands. They've heard of buyer's remorse. Now, folks, keep your hand up if you have a system and a process in your business designed to address the buyer's remorse that we scientifically know every customer feels. Oh, that sound you just heard is the great majority, north of 98% of those hands going down. Right. We are three phases into an eight-phase journey. And the difference between where our customers are and we are is so great. The delta, the difference between those is so great that in most businesses, we'll never close the gap. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. This is the first real moment of truth, right? Everybody jumps in. They get the product they bought. They have the kickoff call meeting. Whatever it is, that first opening volley where we get to show our value. Now, here's the cool thing. Most businesses are pretty good at this phase. We're pretty good at rolling out the red carpet for that first moment. We've thought about our packaging. We've thought about the kickoff call. We've brought people together for the opening meeting. We've got snacks and drinks and a little sugary surprises for people, right? Most businesses do pretty good in the activate phase. But then we come to phase five, the acclimate phase. And this is where the wheels start to fall off the truck again. The acclimate phase is when the customer is getting used to your way of doing business. Now, in the typical organization, this acclimate phase is going to last for days, if not weeks, if not months, if not years of acclimating. This is where we need to hold the customer's hand. We need to make sure they understand our way of doing business, why we do things the way we do. And we need to bring them into the fold and accept them into our operational cadence and make sure that it fits with their desires and needs. We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase. This is when the customer achieves the goal they had back when they originally decided to do business with us, way back on day one of the first 100 days in the admit phase. When they said, all right, I'm admit, I want to be a customer. They had a goal. They had a vision they were trying to accomplish. If we don't know what that goal is, if we don't track their progress towards that goal, they're not going to remember it or track it either. And as a result, we may think we've already delivered and they don't think we've delivered at all. Or what happens, and a lot of people are going, but Joey, there's an even worse scenario. That's when they change their goal. They get to work with us and they move the finish line. And we're irritated. We're like, that's not why you signed up with us. That was never part of the deal. Welcome to dealing with humans, folks. (laughs) This is the joy of serving human beings. Yeah. And if you doubt the validity of that statement, just think about how many times in your life you've purchased a product and started to use it for an off-label reason, or you've signed up for a service and got into it and went, wait, actually, what we really need is this other thing. Can you help us with that? It happens all the time. So let's just embrace that the finish line is going to be moved. And what we need to do is respond to that and work with the client to remind them, wait, here was your original finish line. We've crossed that one now. Great. You've decided there's a new one. No problem. It's going to take this much more time or this much more money or this much more effort to achieve that one. Most folks don't mind us redefining when they redefine where the finish line is us redefining how we're going to get to there. But if we don't have this conversation, everyone's unhappy. We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase, where that customer becomes loyal to us and only us. You alluded to this earlier, Matt. This is where they're not going to go looking at the competition. They are committed. They're in a long-term, sustainable, fulfilled relationship. Marriage is happy. We're celebrating the anniversaries together, right. right? We're feeling good. And last but not least, phase eight, the advocate phase, where they become a raving yeah. fan singing our praises far and wide. Now, here's the interesting thing. Someone can be an adopter, loyal and committed to us, and never make a referral. Never sing our praises publicly. That's fine. We need adopters in our business. Not everyone needs to be an advocate. However, most business owners I talk to when I ask them, so raise your hand if you're all done on referrals. You don't need any more referrals. You're totally happy with the number of referrals you have. No hands ever go up. Because everybody wants to continue to get referrals. Everybody wants customers to continue to sing their praises, to write reviews, to do the things in the marketplace that help spread the word about what we're doing. Most businesses, the key problem that most businesses have, who are are conscious of the importance of an advocate, they're conscious of referrals and reviews, they want those things, is they try to jump from those early phases straight to the last phase without going through the process. You've probably had this experience. You sign up and buy a new product online on a website. You go through the shopping cart. You put everything in. You give them your credit card. Boom, confirm. You've placed your order. It'll be arriving soon. Next pop-up screen we're sure that you know other people that would like our product too. Please put their emails in here and we will pepper them with emails. I mean, reach out to them to see yeah. if they're interested in signing. And I'm like, does anyone ever fill those out? I know I don't yeah. because I see that and I'm like, I'm not even sure your product's going to work. I'm not even sure you're going to deliver it. I haven't even okay? gotten this the This is product. like being on a date. Okay, first date with someone and the waiter waitress comes over with the menu. And before they've given you the menu and you've decided what appetizers you're ordering, you're saying to this new date. So when do I get to meet your parents? (laughs) I'm sorry, we haven't even had the appies yet. Okay, the appetizers haven't arrived and you're anticipating this super long, deep, meaningful relationship where I'm going to become an advocate for you. Whoa pump the brakes red flag it's way too yeah (laughs) clacks on five alarm bell we've got a stage five clinger here we've got to pay attention to what's going on yeah no and yet that's how so many businesses operate so that's a whirlwind overview of eight different phases but hopefully as i went through that folks that are listening at home or listening at the gym or in the car wherever you are listening to your podcast are going wow there are aspects of the customer journey that i really haven't thought of that way I hadn't broken them down into those eight simple steps. And when I ask you to think about what are you doing in that phase to communicate with your customer, how is your customer thinking during that phase, and how is your customer feeling during that phase, answering those three questions will probably give you dozens of improvements to your customer experience just from doing that mapping exercise and thinking through those questions.
2: Absolutely. And if the customer recognizes that in those phases, oh, you know what, based on the experience they're delivering, I can tell they're wondering and they're curious about what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling right there. They feel valued. And that helps solidify the relationship.
0: Yeah. 100% Matt. And here's the thing. Have you ever met a human who had all the feelings of value and meaningfulness that they needed? No. Because I haven't. Here's the thing. It is just part of the human condition. We started this conversation talking about just who are humans and how do we meet humans where they are? Everyone wants to feel important. Everyone wants to feel that they matter. Everyone wants to feel that they're making an impact, that they have connection. Why not deliver those things? Why not pay attention to those things? Why not wake up and decide, you know what? I want to have a different type of interaction with the humans I meet today. How can I provide a moment of levity? How can I provide a moment of laughter? How can I provide a moment of connection? That changes the conversation.
2: It does. It does. And that ties to what I've heard you talk about before, about their emotional journey, meeting them where they are in their emotional journey. And as I hear the description around that, like, I think, well, to me, like that, that sounds like empathy.
0: 100%. Oh, I love it, Matt. Here's the crazy thing. And you and I haven't talked about this before. My next book is going to be all about employee experience. I know. I'm not sure if the book after that or the book after that. So whether this is going to be book three or four, because I got a lot of books in my head. I think that empathy is going to be the single most important skill for humans to have for the next 20 to 50 years. I'm not entirely convinced on that. And there's a couple reasons why I believe that. Number one, I think we desperately lack empathy right. in society today. And I don't say that from a place of judgment. Empathy is hard. Right. It is hard to practice. Sympathy, oh, we're kind of okay, but sympathy often slides into judgment pretty quickly. That's right. Okay, <laughs> and posturing. Empathy is a different conversation. And when we get into empathy, life becomes Better, It becomes better for everyone involved. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity around empathy. And if you talk to the AI experts and the robotics experts, they will tell you that the aspect of humanity that they are going to have the hardest time to crack with the AI, with the robots, is teaching them empathy. So I think that if you believe that technology is taking over more and more of our life, that the robots are coming, I think it's going to be good, friends. Embrace them. Be kind. Mm -hmm. Say thank you to your Alexa or your Siri. It's a good habit to get into, right? If we practice more empathy, we will be able to continue having a reason for existing, a reason for moving the species forward the more we can appreciate that not everybody has the same life experience or worldview that we do. And the more we can open to the possibility that their worldview or their experience may have been clouded by things that we just can't even understand, but we can meet them with an open heart and open mind. Life just gets better. That's all there is to it.
2: It does. It really does. Because that person feels validated they feel valued and then that allows them to think to themselves okay am i doing that am i providing that to the other people that i interact with and hopefully that inspires them to instill more empathy into what they're doing with others and hopefully it's like the positive contagion where it grows and grows absolutely did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles? I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. As a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd.
0: I will say in my own practice, and I, you know, check your own mileage on this. It can vary, but I think it generally comes out positive. Where I show up with more empathy in my life for others, I actually find myself having more empathy for myself. Explain that. Well, a significant amount of people who struggle to be empathetic with others, the person in their life that they are most difficult to, the voice in their life that is most critical is the one that they turn back on themselves. And as I start to lean into, wow, what is that person going through? What is their experience? How can I have more empathy for that? I find myself being gentler with myself. I find myself saying, yeah, okay, you didn't sleep that well last night. Maybe that's what's going on here. Or, oh, when's the last time you ate? Or, oh, you've been sitting at that desk for a while. Can you get up and move around a little bit? Or, oh, you're dealing with a lot of things personally and professionally right now. It's okay if you gave an eight out of 10 in that interaction instead of an 11 out of 10, you know, to pull a Spinal Tap reference. I think so many entrepreneurs in particular go through life thinking, I gotta be 11 out of 10 all the time. OK, fine, if that lights your fire and that drives you. But all too often, what I see is we use that as an excuse to beat ourselves up for not performing to mom and dad's expectations, to our spouse's expectations, to our kids' expectations, to our teacher's expectation, to our co-workers' expectation, to our boss's expectation, to our shareholders. Is anyone else getting exhausted? Yeah. I'm getting exhausted. And I'm just naming off some of the people right. that we feel a responsibility to live up to their expectations let's be a little gentler with ourselves. Let's have a little more empathy for not only the others we deal with, but for ourselves. And I think when we do that, life becomes better. It becomes more fun. It becomes more enjoyable. It becomes more human because we're trying to be things that humans aren't designed. Humans aren't designed to serve dozens of people all the time 24/7 365 at a self-sacrifice that runs us into the grave at warp speed that's not what we're here for and forgive me if that sounds like it's pontificating but i ask you just to really sit and think about why am i here i guarantee that you're not here to answer emails yeah. i guarantee that you're not here to move the sales from 12% to 13% next quarter right you're here to have impact. You're here to have fulfillment. You're here to contribute. Focus on those things. Focus on the empathy. It all has a tendency to work itself out. Wow.
2: Wow. Okay. There's so much to unpack from that right there. And I kept thinking about myself. And so you know this, I'm a solopreneur. I work for myself. I work for the worst boss I've ever had in my (laughs) career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen, brother. And I mean, here's the thing for all the solo entrepreneurs or the armies of one or the you know small businesses out there, you know, 80, depending on whose math you look at, somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of businesses in the United States have less than 10 employees. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's look at that because you have the same boss I have, friend. <laughs> yeah, I am I'm a solo entrepreneur as well, and let me tell you, my boss is horrible. Yeah. My boss wants me, after the kids have gone to bed, to go do some more work. My boss wants me to think about business all the time. My boss wants me to go, ah, oh, vacation, really? Well, okay, we'll extend it by two days, but let's build in a web streaming webinar that I'm going to do, and let's make sure I bring some business books to read and do to do, do so we continue to manage mancic- the game. We allow, as entrepreneurs, ourselves to treat ourselves in ways that we would be appalled. Yeah if any of our customers treated our employees that way, or any other human that we saw on a playground was treating someone else that way, we are appalled. And yet it's this weird badge of courage that so many entrepreneurs wear of like, yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, Matt. I'm not pontificating here. I'm, you know, hopefully confessing here, right? Because the reality is I used to track how many all-nighters I pulled. I had a sign on my desk that would track how many all nighters. And by, for those of you that are unclear what I mean by that, I mean that I would go to work at eight o'clock in the morning on a Monday. And I would leave at 10 o'clock at night Tuesday, having not left the office. So work two full straight days without sleep, without stopping. My quote unquote best year ever 38 all nighters. So that's more than one a month. The quality of work I was producing. The abuse I was giving to my body, to my mind, to my soul during that time was offensive. And yet I wore it like a badge of honor. I was tracking it on my desk for whom I don't know.
2: Were you tracking it in a good way?
0: Oh, I was thinking it's awesome. I'm like, look at me, hashtag crushing oh. it, getting stuff done, 38 wins. And it's like, no. Wow. When I finally woke up to that realization, I decided, could I go a whole year without an all-nighter? and I did and then I said ooh this is a much better way to live yeah this is a much better approach to life but I share this story not to be like oh look how many all-nighters I did nor to say oh look how you know horrible I was and how I treated myself I say this to hopefully give some insight that I have empathy for the challenges that a solopreneur face I have empathy For the challenges that a single parent faces who's working two or three jobs, trying to make ends meet, having their side hustle, trying to be a good parent. I mean, how many of us? Here's a fun little simple exercise for your listeners sit down with a sheet of paper and write down how many roles you currently play child to a parent, sibling, parent if you have kids, spouse if you're married, or just partner if you're in a non married relationship. Coworker, employee, potentially employer, your responsibility towards customers, your responsibility towards prospects, your responsibilities towards your friends, your classmates, your neighbors. Just go ahead and make a list of all the rules. And then on a scale of one to 10. With 10 being, I am world-class, I am awesome at this role right now. And one being like, I'm embarrassed that I put this role on the list because I have not thought about this role right. in weeks, months, years, maybe. Go ahead and put some scores down. And what I think we will find, or at least what I found in doing this exercise, and I do this exercise with some regularity, is we are expecting a lot out of ourselves. Oh yeah, We are expecting ourselves to have, deliver at a high level On dozens of roles without a lot of permission for the understanding that there's not enough hours on the day to be a 10 out of 10 in all of those categories. So we have to start making some choices.
2: You do. And I would say if you were to take that list and place the level of importance on each one, and then next to that, place uh, some sort of score on the amount of time or the amount of focus that you put on on each of those, the average person is going to see an inverse relationship. We spend more totally time agree, on Matt. some of the least important uh, uh, people and least important things.
0: Yeah. Why is it that we will answer a customer support email at one o'clock in the morning before we go to bed? And yet we'll say, oh, just one more minute. I I just got to finish up this last thing to our spouse before we go to dinner. Yeah. Really? Now, and I'm guilty of this too. I am, again, I want to be very clear. I am on the journey. I am learning. But I believe that by increasing our own awareness to these problems or challenges, by opening some empathy for where we're at in the process, that's how we move towards improvement. We don't move towards improvement through judgment. We don't move towards improvement through ridicule. We move towards improvement, in my opinion, through empathy, understanding, and a commitment to just try to be a little bit better tomorrow, a half a percent better, 1% better. This does not need to be this, starting tomorrow, everything in my life will be amazing. It just doesn't work that way as humans. That's too much you know, pressure. We've evolved over time. It's way too much pressure. And then what do we do when we don't achieve that at the end of that first day? That's right. Let's get out the wet noodles and start beating ourselves again. Let's ch- chime in with, oh, I I failed. I didn't get it done. I'm worthless. See, I never could. do." And again, the voices in our own heads for most humans. And by the way, this has only been exacerbated by COVID. Oh, of course. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to have the spoiler alert, regardless of what you think about COVID, you know what COVID has impacted everyone, regardless of whether you caught COVID or didn't catch COVID or had a mild case or had a terrible case or had somebody, you know, die from it or think that this is all made up. It kind of doesn't matter where you lie. The reality is COVID has exacerbated the sounds of our own internal voices in our head, particularly those around judgment.
2: Amen. Wow. That's been
0: yet another devastating effect of the pandemic is that it has made everybody feel less than.
2: I don't think enough people are are recognizing that and talking about that.
0: I agree with you. And I know that these are impassioned conversations and I know that people's experience, as is the case with everything in life, varies dramatically. But when we, we can come to the table with more empathy, for others, more empathy for, for ourselves. I think that is, I don't want to be so brazen as to say it's the only path forward, but it sure feels like the best lit path going forward to me to try to come out of the darkness a little bit and try to follow the light going forward. I think less judgment, less ridicule, less verbal, mental, emotional, physical abuse of of ourselves and of others is the way we should move forward as a species. That's my personal opinion. And if folks are interested in that, there's room on the train. Come on, join me because I I think that's where we need to be moving.
2: I I agree. I'm I'm on team empathy with you.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
2: Let's bring it back to these phases just for a moment because we talked about the eight phases and you said that The affirm phase, the acclimate phase, those are two phases. Those are two areas where things can really fall apart more than anywhere
0: else. So what
2: can we do to make sure that doesn't happen?
0: Let's go super simple and super tactical since we've done a lot of kind of the big picture philosophical conversation, Matt. For all the folks that are still listening, thanks for sticking with us. Let's get hyper tactical now. All right. In the affirm stage, that buyer's remorse stage, where the new customer is beginning to doubt the decision they just made. The reason I call this the affirm stage is you need to affirm the decision that this new customer made. How do you do that? Send them a thank you note for their business. Send them a video that says, oh, we are so excited to have you working with us now. When we were going through the process, when you were considering us, you mentioned A, B, and C. We believe we're going to be able to help you with those. We believe we're going to be able to deliver those in the next 60 days, 90 days, five months, whatever it may be. We're committed to working on it with you. We're excited to work with you. And we'll see you for the kickoff soon. Thank you so much for buying our product. We know that you have a lot of options out there that you could have considered. We appreciate your vote of confidence in purchasing ours. It's on its way. It's going to be there soon. When you get it, if you have any questions, any issues, any doubts, here is the phone number. Here is the email that you need to send a message to, and we will fix it immediately. The moral of the story is we like to send stuff out that is gonna change people's lives, that's gonna have the impact, that's gonna have the value. We wanna have that impact in your lives. Please let us know if for any reason we're not living up to that. Those type of communications make people go, oh, I'm at it. They know me. They understand what I might be thinking right now. Good. That's all you need to do. And a lot of people, when they send those, they're like, I regularly have conversations with people. that will be like, Joey, I sent the thank you note. And I never heard back. Okay. Here's the question, friends. Does it matter? No. <laughs> okay. We don't need the thank you note for the thank you note to know that the first thank you <laughs> note worked. Okay. All we need to do is send it. We need to get it out there. And I understand the desire as humans to be like, oh, but did they receive it? And did it really touch them? And did it matter? Let me ask this question. I'll just play this with you, Matt, and anybody listening, you can think about this in your home right now or in your home office right now. Do you have a thank you note that someone wrote you in the last year, a physical thank you note that you might've received in the last year or two or three, somewhere in your house, do you have a physical thank you note?
2: I've got a couple, not many. You've got a
0: couple. So this is completely unprompted. I had no idea how Matt was going to ask. I've got a couple and you threw in right there before I cut you off, but not many. Okay. Okay. Interesting lesson here. Now, let me ask this question about the thank you notes without asking you to reveal any of the names or the scenarios for you, why you have them. Sure thing. Have any of these thank you notes been in your home, been in your possession for more than 30 days? Yes. Would you would you be willing to say the majority, if not all of them, have been in your home for more than 30 days? They have, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'll hold on to them. Interesting. Now, when I ask you to think about those thank you notes, can you remember who they came from, if not the person's individual name, what brand or what organization they came from. Yes. Yeah. Great. So here's the $64,000 question, as the old game show used to say, Matt. You know who it's from. You know what it says. You read it. But you kept it. Why did you keep it? You didn't need to remember the person's name. You probably didn't need to remember what they said. You read it and you understood it when you got it. You've had it for more than 30 days. Yeah completely unscripted and unprompted, and we did not practice this before the conversation. Why did he keep the thank you note, Matt?
2: It made me feel valued, and it was a human connection, and probably for the same reason that in 1994, 95, I would keep whatever emails made it in my inbox for those first couple of years. Oh, look at all these emails I have. Now I want to get rid of all my emails and I only want to hold on to the actual handwritten letters that I
0: get in the mail. I love it. I love it. So folks, for those of you listening at home, what Matt said was I felt valued. I felt appreciated. I felt that I mattered. Here's the thing I know about all human beings, all human beings want to feel valued, appreciated and they matter. And one of the cleanest, easiest, less $1 in cost ways to do that is to write someone a handwritten note and mail it to them. Why? Because as the inbox, the electronic inbox has gotten more and more filled, your physical mailbox, the OG inbox, right, has become less filled. And sending someone a handwritten thank you note will move the dial in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. And I don't know about you, but I love the idea the marketer and salesperson in me loves the idea of having a physical artifact, a talisman, a memento of the connection and relationship I want to have with my customer sitting in their office, sitting in their home, sitting there so that when they come across that, when they move and they're doing some cleaning and they go, this was so, I want to keep this. I really think well of the person who wrote this. This was a significant milestone or thing for me because lots of times when they see that, not only do they have more positive vibes for us, but then they reach out again and, hey, by the way, I haven't thought of you in a while, but I was thinking I need another one of those products or I need to sign up for another service or I need to make a referral to you. Why? Because you thought of me. It makes me think of you. Let's move to the acclimate phase. Okay. In the acclimate phase, some simple things we can do. Number one, recognize that you've done this dozens of times, hundreds of times, thousands of times but your new customer has never done business with you they have no idea what's coming next and you may say but joey i wrote about it in the proposal we went over this in the contract Did you do folks you sign things that you don't read all the time right. and so do your customers now some of you are saying but joey that's not true i'm a recovering attorney i read everything i sign i am actually joey is a recovering attorney and i don't read everything i sign even though i should i know i should you get to the airport you get to the rental car check-in and you're trying to get your rental car and they've got that little box up there with a little screen. They're like, just click I accept. And you're like, I accept, I accept, I accept. Meanwhile, you're willing to give whatever penalties you want. If you do something wrong and you're just like, accept, 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 give me the keys. I'm not even reading what's on the screen. Your customers are the same way. So when do you need to remind them of what comes next? Every time you interact with them. I don't have a call with a client that I don't end the call saying, hey, by the way, what we're going to do between now and the next time we connect, and I'll be sending you a follow-up email to reiterate everything I'm going to verbally tell you right now, just because I know, even though I'm telling you everything right now, you're looking at the clock going, this meeting has three more minutes left to go. You've mentally moved on to the next meeting. So I'm going to follow up with an email reminder. Oh, and then I'm going to send you a calendar invite, and then I'm going to send you an agenda before the meeting. Why? Why? Not because I want to annoy people with a high level of organization and structure, but because I understand humans. Humans need to be reminded of what comes next. You need to hold their hand. You need to help them navigate through. So if nothing else, I'm not asking you to go create anything new in your business. One thing you could do today that would dramatically improve your customer experience. Go to every single customer you currently have, figure out where they are on the map, where they are in their customer journey, and send them a message reiterating where you think they are and what comes next, and ask them in that email, is there anything else that we're missing? Are you unsure about anything? Did you think we were in a different place in the journey? Are you hoping to get to that line sooner, later? Are you feeling good? These type of conversations change the interaction, and they also serve as a great way to give you a warning or an insight if a customer doesn't think they're at the same spot that you think they're at, oh my goodness, I want to know that sooner rather than later. So when it comes time to acclimate, just tell people where they're at and check in and make sure they're still good with that. Right. Yeah, and provide
2: them all the information that you assume they have in their head that they really don't. Exactly. Chip and Dan Heath, I think I've heard them refer to it as the curse of knowledge. We all have the curse of knowledge in that we know Whatever it is that we're doing and delivering, we know it backwards and forwards, but our audience, our customers may not.
0: Absolutely. And I'll take it one step further. The majority don't. It's not that they may not. It's that they do not. Why? See earlier exercise I asked everybody who's listening to do of make a list of all the roles and responsibilities you have and score where you're at. I'm sorry, I know you like to think of yourself as a trusted partner instead of a vendor or a supplier, but the reality is you, by the way, we didn't list vendors on that role's responsibilities, did we? We didn't right. list all those relationships, all the places I'm a customer of, all those places that our customers meet. No, you didn't. we didn't even get to those in your top 10. And yet that's where we fall in the roles and responsibilities of our customers. Most of us aren't in the top 10, that's okay. But let's do these little favors, these little handholdings that remind them of where we're at.
2: That's it. Wow. Because th- those are simple actions, simple areas where you can focus right now to drastically improve your customer experience. Love it. Thank you, Joey. Joey, last question for you before we go. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for Never Lose a Customer Again, what songs would you include? Matt, I got to tell you, I love this
0: question. I absolutely (laughs) love this question. I don't know if I'm supposed to share this so you can edit it out later. Matt did tell me that he was going to be asking this question in advance of the recording, which I appreciate, because like Matt, I'm a big fan of music. And I believe that not only do you want to pick the right songs to be in your playlist, but you should try to pick them in the right order. Right. Because we've all been at the club or the concert where or even listening to an album where we're like, all right, we got to we got to take them on a journey. We got to take them on an oral sound based journey. We got to take them on an emotional journey. So here are my five songs in the order that I would like to play. them. I'd like to start out with the classic by Survivor. Eye of the Tiger. Okay. Just to get the blood pumping, right? You know, it's the thrill of the fight. Lots of people that work in customer care, customer service, feel like they're getting bandied around, beat around a little bit. I want you to come into this feeling pumped, feeling excited, feeling that beat driving the conversation. Okay. Now, a lot of times before we start to pick up the phone, before we start to get into an interaction with a customer, we got to remind ourselves that no matter what happens, we're still going to be alive at the end. We're still going to be delivering our product. So I get that it's hard sometimes when we navigate through these conversations, we have to have a a crucial conversation, a difficult conversation we're not looking forward to. The good news is, as a recovering attorney, I used to say at the end of the conversation, did anyone die in this scenario or did anyone go to prison for the rest of their life without the possibility for parole? Because those two things are major problems. If it's anything other than those two things, you don't really have that significant number of a problem. We've got a challenge. We've got something we've got to work through, but it's lower on the scale. So my second song would be by Destiny's Child Survivor, right? You know, you get that feel that no matter what happens, it's going to work out for you. Now, the third song really ties to that acclimate phase. And I think is important for everyone in the customer journey. I got to go with the classic Beatles, hold my hand. Okay. You got to, you got to hold on to the hand. You got to just navigate through, hold the hand. Think of it like your children. Okay. Anyone who's got children or anyone who's been around children or those of you that don't have children, just imagine into this state. I've got a six year old and an eight year old. I love the fact that when we go out places, lots of times they still want to hold my hand. The reality is, I know there's going to come a time in the future that is going to come a lot sooner than I want it to, that they're not going to be excited to hold my hand. Think of your customers the same way. Use this opportunity to hold their hand, hold their hand while they want you to hold their hand, because there's going to come a time when they don't, and that's okay. And in many ways, that's what we're moving towards and what we want them to get to the point where they can self-serve and look out for themselves. But don't miss that opportunity where they want to hold your hand. Fourth song. We've got a bunch of classics from years past. I've dated myself a little. I'm going to bring it forward a little bit to something that the young kids are listening to more these days. Okay, we're going to go with Katy Perry, Call Me Baby. Okay, here's why. So many businesses have defaulted to, oh, just come online for our online chat support or send us an email or create a ticket. Call me old fashioned, but there are a number of your customers that just want to call me, baby. Give them the phone number. Give them the number. Hey, I'm interested in you. Call me. Let's have a human conversation. Let's have an interaction. And last but not least, song number five. This is one that I absolutely love, and I believe it ties in very closely with that first 100 Days message that I think is so important. This is a song I actually walk out onto. Anytime I'm speaking in a live audience, I say, hey, what do you want your walk-on music to be? Yeah. This is what I want it to be. I'm going to go with the classic 80s band that had fabulous hair, Europe, and the song, The Final Countdown. With the idea... Yeah. You know, first of all, it gets everybody pumped. Everybody's start oh, yeah. age. Even if you don't know the song, you're like, oh, I'm feeling it. I play this song for my yeah. boys. They love it. Daddy's walk on music. Everybody's feeling good. Nice. What I love about the final countdown is the whole message is, hey, we have a limited amount of time. The clock is ticking. What are we right. doing? What are we doing in those first 100 days to create the kind of remarkable experiences that will keep your customers coming back for more? Make the most of every minute, make the most of every day. I wish you all the best in the first 100 days and beyond. I know you've all got it in you. Let's go do it.
2: Wow. Okay, I love that. And I love the intentionality that you placed into creating it into a journey. And then again, like I haven't even thought of that really, like that countdown. You know what? Here we are. You've got 100 days. Now you're at day 99. Now you're at day 80. Now you're at day 60. What are you doing to keep them? So there you go. Love it. And thank you so much for sharing that. Last question. uh, Where can people go
0: to learn more from you, Joey? Oh, the best place, Matt, I would say is either my book or the website. Let's talk about the book briefly. It's called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available at your favorite bookstore. It's available in all three formats. We've got the hardcover book. We've got the ebook. And we've got the audio book. If you've enjoyed listening to me tell you about the book, I read the ebook or the audio book to you. So it's my voice narrating the book. Uh, Definitely check that out available anywhere where books are. By the way, there's a promise early on in the book in the first chapter that if you buy the book, you read the book and you don't get value out of it, you message me and I refund the cost of the book to you. I want the book to be a tactical tool that not only outlines a framework and a philosophy, but gives you specific, actionable, simple ideas that you can put into your place in your business right now, regardless of what industry you operate in, regardless of how large or small you are. I like to think there's a lot of great value in there. Second place is my website, which is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old you know, Joey. Yeah. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment company, Coleman, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. There's videos there you can sign up for a first days starter kit that will allow, that kind of goes over those eight phases and gives you, worksheets that you can do by yourself or with your team to figure out how you can implement these types of practices in your business. That's all free and available on the website. I so appreciate your time, Matt. I so appreciate everybody who stuck with us for this whopping hour plus long conversation. Thanks for your time and your effort. And, uh, You've got this. Have some empathy for yourself. Have it for your customers. And best of luck in those first 100 days and beyond. There you go.
2: Excellent. Yeah. You know what? This felt like it was two conversations in one, like double the value. You know, customer experience focus, but also strong focus on empathy and empathy for yourself. So, Joey, thank you so much for being here.
0: My pleasure, Matt.
2: I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Joey Coleman. So go and learn more from him at joeycoleman.com. You'll find lots of resources there, including Joey's first 100 days starter kit that's going to help guide you along Joey's lessons. And go check out Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available in all formats. So if you enjoyed hearing Joey today, then you'll love hearing him in his audiobook version. And hey, if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Nick Webb. Nick Webb is a world-renowned strategist, futurist, best-selling author, and one of the top keynote speakers in the world. As an advisor, he works with some of the top brands to help them lead their market in enterprise strategy, customer experience, and innovation. And Nick's the author of a number of customer experience and innovation-based books, including What Customers Crave, The Innovation Mandate, Happy Work, and his latest bestseller, What Customers Hate. If you enjoyed this episode, where Joey and I talked about how to keep customers, then you'll love hearing Nick and I discuss why customers leave. You'll find out what it is that customers really hate from dealing with brands, but even better you'll learn what you can do in your brand to ensure your customers will never hate any interactions in your customer experience. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Nick's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.